0: Good morning, One Viewpoint. I hope that you're doing well where you are. I want to encourage you now, if you would, to set aside anything that might be distracting and uh, settle your hearts and your attention on the study of God's Word. For the past several weeks, we've been looking at the letter of 1 John, the epistle of 1 John. 1 John is obviously the first in a series of three New Testament letters which bear the name of the Apostle John, the same John who authored the Gospel of John. Now, we've worked through 1 John, but since uh, we're kind of attuned to the themes and uh, the commands and uh, the issues being addressed in 1 John, what I'd like for us to do for the next couple of weeks is to look first this morning at 2 John and then next week at 3 John. There is a theory as to how these three letters came into existence, obviously under the inspiration of God's Spirit by the hand of the Apostle John. The theory suggests that these three letters initially came to the church in a bundle of three. That 2 John was kind of an introduction to the church. It was a letter to the church itself. In fact, the letter begins, 2 John begins, the elder, to the elect lady and her children. A way of making reference to the church, perhaps to a specific lady that was showing hospitality to the church gathering in her home. So this is a letter written to the church, and it takes the form of a standard New Testament letter, much like those of the Apostle Paul in other uh, books of the New Testament. And then there's Third John, a letter that's written specifically to Gaius, an elder or a leader in the church that met in the home of the elect lady addressed in 2 John. And then there was attached 1 John, which we've been studying again for the past several weeks, which doesn't take the form of a standard New Testament letter. It's not typical at all of a first century epistle or letter. It's structured in more of a rhetorical fashion as a sermon. And the theory goes that 2 John is written to the church, Uh, 3 John is written to Gaius, an elder within the church, and that 1 John was intended to be a sermon that was read aloud for the church. So we have something of a handbook on the letter of 1 John in 2 John. Many of the themes of 2 John, and for that matter, 3 John, are given greater expression in 1 John, but there are some principles here that I think could be beneficial for us. And as always, God's Word is relevant and applicable in every aspect of our life. With that kind of background in view, I want us to turn our attention to the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the entirety of 2 John this morning, just 13 brief verses, 2 John beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, I love all of you in the truth, and not only I, but also all who have come to know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth in keeping with a command we've received from the Father. So now I urge you, dear lady, not as if I were writing a new command, but one we've had from the beginning, and we, that we love one another, and this is love that we walk according to His commands. This is the command, as you've heard it from the beginning, you must walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we've worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home. And don't say welcome to him, for the one who says welcome to him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to do so with paper and ink. Instead, I hope to be with you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. May the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word. Unlike modern day letters, which begin with the name of the person addressed and end with the name of the author, here Second John begins with the name of the author which is really a more sensible approach to writing a letter if you think about it than uh, putting the name of the writer at the bottom of the page. We have to look naturally to the bottom of the page or the end of the letter to discover who it is that's that's writing. We know naturally as we take the letter itself up that it's been written to us, it's been directed toward us. Here the author is mentioned first and then the addressee is mentioned in verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children. This may be a specific lady, again, who's showing hospitality to the church that meets in her home. That would be consistent with other New Testament witnesses of the experience of the early church meeting house to house, benefiting from the favor shown them, the hospitality of a hostess in that particular house. But it might also be a more broad way of referring to the church itself, the church In the feminine, the church is the bride of Christ. To the elect lady and her children may be a little more than a way of saying to this particular congregation, to this uh, local assembly of, of God's people. John says, I love all of you in the truth, and not only I, but also all who have come to know the truth because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. Now, if you're reading along carefully or you're listening carefully, you'll note that two words appear frequently in the first six verses of our passage, but especially here in verses 1 through 3. The language of love and truth are all over these verses. Now listen again to what John says. He says in verse 1, I love all of you in the truth. A a, a way of making reference to the gospel. A way that not only refers to the gospel, but that highlights or emphasizes the truthfulness of the gospel. I love all of you in the gospel. I love all of you in the truth. I love all of you in Christ. And not only I, but also all who have come to know the truth. That is, not only do I love you, John says, in the gospel, because of the gospel, but every person born of God loves you in truth, in the gospel, in Christ. Because of the truth. This is the motivation. This is the how. This is the why. Because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. The gospel that abides within us compels us To love the bride of Christ. The gospel that abides within us compels us to love other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the first point that I want you to take away from 2 John. The gospel of Jesus Christ binds us together. In truth, we love one another. Because of the truth of the gospel, we love one another. Because of the truth of the gospel, we are enabled to love one another. Because of the truth of the gospel, it is essential that we love one another. Because of the truth of the gospel, we cannot keep back but from loving one another. It is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we love one another. The gospel is what binds us together as a people. I, I, like most of you, if not all of you, have been watching what's unfolding in our country. From the George Floyd death to other deaths that preceded that, injustice, injustice to all that's happened since that time. And I, and I know that for some this will come across as cliché and, and maybe it won't resonate because it's been stated so many times and we've failed to follow through with it. But the only way that we're gonna have peace and unity and the collective pursuit of justice in this world, in this country, in our area, in this world, is by a firm, shared belief In the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christ, there is perfect peace. In Christ, there is perfect unity. In Christ, there is perfect justice. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what binds us together. We're not bound together by an ethnic identity. We're not bound together by geographic location. We're not bound together by similar likes and interests. We are bound together as a people because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God has looked upon us with favor, has loved us so that He sent His only Son. That Jesus, a Middle Eastern Jew, would die, would shed His own blood in order that our sin might be atoned for. It is the blood of Jesus that binds us together. And it is only the blood of Jesus that can bind us together. John says, In the truth, I love you and love you dearly because of the truth. And and in the truth, it's the truth of the gospel that motivates him and others to love. One of the real benefits, I I tend to think selfishly when it comes to short-term missions as a pastor, one of the things that I look forward to watching members of our fellowship enjoy in international missions and one of the things that I enjoy the most about involvement in international missions is to go and to be with people of different tribes and tongues and nationalities in parts of the world that I had until that particular time I've been completely ignorant of to meet with them and to meet brothers and sisters who identify with Jesus and to experience that immediate sense of kinship that I have with them to see that experience within the membership of our fellowship to see other brothers and sisters feel that immediate connection that immediate bond with people that until that moment they did not know at all that is the work of God's Spirit That's what I mean when I say the gospel binds us together. That's the kind of thing that we enjoy within the fellowship of the church. That's the kind of thing that every man, woman, boy, and girl can enjoy within the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that binds us together. Look to verse 4. John says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth in keeping with the command we've received from the Father. So now I urge you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commands. This is the command, as you've heard it from the beginning, you must walk in love. Now, if you've been with us in our study of 1 John, you know that John is incredibly concerned with the, the necessity of love within the church, love among the brethren, love within the fellowship. And, and, he, and he gets this from Jesus, right? We've talked about Jesus in that Last Supper discourse and how he handed down a series of teachings to John, not the least of which was, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, because you have love for one another. This is a central focus in the Gospel of John, and it becomes the central focus in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as well. Here John says, I rejoice in the fact that I found your children, the members of the body, and perhaps even your actual children, your uh, physical descendants, Walking in the truth, observing this command that we've had from the beginning. Not a new command, not some revolutionary idea, but something that is central to the gospel, namely that we love one another. And this is how we know love. This is what love looks like. It is the observance of God's command in our life to love God, to love neighbor, to adhere to every command that we have from God through His special word. This is what love looks like, walking according to His commandments. This is the commandment that we've had from the very beginning. This again is essential to, it is central to the gospel. Not only does the gospel bind us together, but the gospel itself leads us as a people. Love is inherent to the gospel. It's God's love for us, the Father's love for us, that moves Him to sacrifice His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The love of Father and Son is revealed to us in salvation as we grapple with the reality that while we were yet sinners, enemies, hostile toward God, Christ Jesus died for us. In that, we see love embodied. We learn love in a way that is completely countercultural, in a way that's unobserved in this world. We come to know what love looks like through Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel that tells us that Jesus Christ saves sinners by his vicarious death and victorious resurrection is the language of love to us. It's a lecture on love that we live in light of every day of our life. The gospel not only binds us together in love, but the gospel leads us. It, It moves us in loving others as well. John seems to be very concerned that love persists within the fellowship of the church. And the church in the 21st century ought to be very concerned that love persists within the membership of the church in our day and age as well. This is not a new command, brothers and sisters. This is a part of the DNA of the believer, that we love one another, that we forego rights and privileges, that we're, that we're quick to listen and we're slow to speak. This means we bend over backwards for the well-being of those around us, esteeming others more highly than ourselves. This is not what we do on our best day when we're in the mood or our attitude is what it ought to be. This is who we are led by the gospel of Jesus Christ to love, to love, to love. Really without exception. The gospel binds us together. The gospel leads us. And I want you to see in verses 7 and 8, that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that keeps us. John says what he says concerning love, and I've become convinced that John encourages them to love as he does, not so much because he sees an absence of love, but to encourage them to persist in this kind of love. Because it seems they've happened upon a scenario where their hospitality, where their love has been to some extent being taken advantage of. Look at verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we've worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. In the next section, John describes a scenario in which they are not to welcome those who don't bring the teaching of Christ. There's a strong emphasis in the New Testament period on welcoming Uh, showing hospitality to and aiding uh, men and women who are traveling abroad for gospel purposes. So we didn't have the International Mission Board in the New Testament period, so brothers just set out, and they went, and they shared the good news of the gospel. And if they happened to happen across uh, a Christian home, they would spend time there. They would share fellowship with them. And there was the expectation that that home would provide for them hospitality, would provide for them a meal and shelter and anything else that might arise in terms of a need. And the church took this responsibility very seriously. This is how you advance the kingdom in a New Testament context. But not every teacher that comes about brings the teaching of Christ. There were a great number of teachers. In fact, John says there are many deceivers, not just a few, but many deceivers who have gone out into the world. These are anti-Christian deceivers, as John describes them in the epistle of 1st John. They don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And again, we mentioned this several times, but this seems to be a major doctrinal issue in uh, John's context, and it's certainly a major focus of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. They come and their teaching bears the name of Jesus, it uses the language of the gospel, but their primary teaching, at least one among their primary teachings, was that Jesus did not come in the flesh. And there are a variety of philosophical reasonings as to why they didn't believe that, and the implications of that are extraordinary. They're coming with language that sounds Christian, they're they're coming with a message that is allegedly about Jesus. But at the heart of their ministry is a deception that's intended to beset the faith of the believer and undermine any effort at faith and kingdom advancement among unbelievers. They come teaching a doctrine of Jesus that is untrue. John warns that you must filter all teaching, that you must filter all preaching through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must Stand fast, steady, and strong in the gospel. I said this a number of times in the last year, and I'll say it many, many more times, Lord willing, in the years to come. We don't advance beyond the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is central to who we are. You should spend the rest of your earthly life, and who knows how many thousands of years in eternity, wrestling with the fullness of the gospel its magnitude, and the implications of the gospel on our life. The gospel of Jesus Christ has saved us. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will keep us. A firm, steady, thorough, biblical understanding of the gospel will guard you and keep you from false doctrine. It will guard you and keep you from the loss of your joy. It will guard you and it will keep you from the presence of sin in your life. It will guard you and it will keep you from the loss of security in your salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what holds us, is what keeps us... John says in verse 8, Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we've worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Don't let your walk with Jesus be compromised by a faulty understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understand who Christ is, what He's done for you, what He's promised to do, in the future, understand His character, His nature, the attributes of Jesus, His love, His grace, His mercy, His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, the peace that we find in Him, that He is entirely God, that He is entirely man, the only mediator between the Father and an unholy people. Know Christ. Know the gospel. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will hold you. The gospel will keep you. I've stated this a little differently in verses 9 and 10. Here, I want you to note that the gospel guards us. The gospel protects us. Not only are we kept from deception, as John describes in verses 7 and 8, but we are protected in a variety of ways in verses 9 and 10. Anyone who doesn't remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. So, to come short of or to go beyond the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, hear me carefully here. Because we're pretty quick to slap the label of heresy or false teacher on some secondary or third-tier issue that we don't agree with or we don't like. That's not the kind of thing that I'm calling for here. But any teaching, when it comes to the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that comes short of the gospel or that goes beyond the gospel is not a mere missing of the mark. Rather, John says that teacher, that doctrine knows nothing of God himself. What makes the devil so crafty and where we have to be ever vigilant is that the deceptions that are most effective and the tactic of Satan is to come close enough to the truth that you won't miss the seemingly minor distinctions between truth and falsehood. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the devil is often in the details. Here again, these teachers came using the language of Jesus. These teachers came affirming the goodness of Jesus' ministry. They would have celebrated the miracles of Jesus and all the miraculous things that he did. The feeding of the 5,000, his being uh, endowed with the power of the Spirit at his baptism. A variety of other aspects of Jesus' ministry seemed to be highlights in the teaching of these false teachers. But they taught that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And without the coming of Jesus in the flesh, the righteous requirement of the law could not be filled except that he be likened to us. He could not be our substitute. You see how this seemingly minor detail is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this may not be the teaching that you contend with in your personal life, and it is not, to the best of my knowledge, a teaching that's prevalent in the 21st century. But there are a variety of other teachings that meddle with the foundations of the gospel of Jesus Christ that parade about as though they are Christian in nature when they undermine the true teaching of the gospel, when they, complete, when they are completely out of step with the teaching of, of the New Testament. John says, Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. The key to knowing the Father and the Son is the Son, the teaching of Christ, the Gospel of Jesus. You cannot know God apart from the Son. Jesus pled with His disciples, you've believed in God, believe also in Me. Jesus says emphatically in the same passage, except through Me, no one can come to the Father. The apostles understood Clearly, that the name of Jesus was the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only way of salvation, and there is no other knowledge of God apart from a knowledge of Jesus Christ. In verse 10, John says, If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't say welcome to him. We're back to this cultural thing of bringing someone into your home and providing for all their needs. There are a number of parables and examples in the gospel Gospels that help us to understand something of of this cultural phenomenon, where if you come to someone's house, there's there's a real heightened expectation that the host or the hostess provide for their needs. Remember the prayer that Jesus offered or the parable that Jesus offered concerning prayer? where he says, you go to your neighbor's house and and you knock many times and you say, someone's coming to my home, I don't have bread enough to feed them, and they don't want to get themselves up because the children are in bed, but if you persist in knocking, they'll eventually come to the door, if for no other reason than to get you away from the door at such a late hour. There is an incredible expectation that the keeper of the house provide for the needs of any guest of the house. This, This shouldn't be taken in an overly literal manner where we're unwilling to invite people uh, who may share different views or may completely misunderstand the gospel altogether into our home. I think there's a real opportunity for those who are settled and stable in their faith to welcome into their home the Mormon missionaries who may pass by or the Jehovah's Witnesses who may pass by and share with them the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the reality is that Uh, There shouldn't be great expectations that you're going to get a fair hearing. In most instances, they have been somewhat pre-programmed with certain things that they are to say, and then their time is up, and they'll move to the next house or on to the next ministry target. But there's real opportunity for us to show hospitality to unbelievers, regardless of what unbelieving state they come to us in, and to share with them the good news of the gospel. This is not what John is describing here. John is describing a scenario in which they bring them in and help them provide for needs that they have in order that their mission or their ministry might be advanced. If we're bringing this into a 21st century context, we might offer this explanation of John's uh, command here Do not provide aid to or support to ministries. That, that are not attuned to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not provide aid to or support to ministries that undermine the teaching of the gospel. You don't want to go out and make contributions to in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You don't want to do anything that's going to advance the ministry of a mission or a ministry that's in opposition to the gospel. John speaks pretty severely here. He says, don't welcome him or say welcome to him for the one who says, welcome to him, shares in his evil works. Now, again, the idea here is, and the literal translation is, don't greet him, so to speak. Again, the idea of bringing them in and providing aid or support to them. Be careful, again, that you don't do anything that would help them to advance their mission or their ministry. The gospel binds us together. The gospel leads us in love. The gospel keeps us against deception, and the gospel guards us from involving ourselves in ministries that are opposed to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I found verses 12 and 13 this week to be very encouraging and quite precious in a way that perhaps uh, before I had not considered. Look at verse 12. John says, "...though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to do so with paper and ink. Instead, I hope to be with you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete." the children of your elect sister send you greetings." John says, there's a lot that I I really want to say to you, a lot that needs to be said, but there are some things that are just better said face-to-face. There's a lot that I've wanted to say to you over the last several weeks, but there's some things that are just better said face-to-face. A couple of observations from this passage and perhaps from the New Testament in general. Significant portions of the New Testament and this letter were written under circumstances that did not allow for John to be in the physical presence of his church family. And yet that did not limit his continued efforts at gospel advancement. I hope that we've not allowed what we've experienced with shelter in place, all that's gone on over the last months, to prevent us from persisting in our efforts to advance the gospel. That's, that's one. I hope that you've been diligent to capitalize on every opportunity. And this is not really over yet, so I'm hopeful that from now until the end of this season of all of our lives, that you'll persist in, in the work of kingdom advancement, no matter how limited your travel may be, no matter how limited your exposure to other people in the flesh might be. Find creative ways to get the gospel to unbelieving people through social media. God in heaven knows that social media needs a dose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So work work there. Write letters, make phone calls, send texts. There there are a select group of people that you're in constant contact with. It's just the nature of life. It's not preventable for us. Be certain that you're capitalizing on opportunities of real human-to-human interaction and talking about the gospel and, and the beauty of the gospel. In the last week, we had a serviceman in our home for a utility issue and we were able to have a beautiful gospel conversation with this individual from a West African uh, country and and different culture and different religious background who might have never heard the gospel otherwise, even during the season of sheltering in place. So be very, very careful uh, that you're capitalizing on gospel opportunities. But here's the second thing, and they're, they're closely related. There, there are some things that are just better said, better experienced face to face. For many of you, I, I, and I hope not a whole whole lot, but I suspect for many of you, you're, you're going to be slow at returning. Next Sunday, God willing, we're going to be able to resume meeting in our worship center. And I am so anxious for that day. But I'm also aware that there are gonna be a lot of you who aren't able to do that because you have compromised immunity, or you have a family situation where you're constantly exposed to people with uh, uh, compromised immunity. Maybe you have children that have some health issues, or maybe you're providing for parents who have health issues, uh, whatever, whatever the case would, would be. I, 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 don't, I don't want you to let this season of sheltering in place and gathering together in an online format to rob you of the remembrance of the sweetness of face to face, shoulder to shoulder, hand to hand worship. We ought to do everything that we can to maintain contact and communication and encouragement and fellowship as best we can under these strange circumstances. But there has never been anything nor will there ever be anything that can take the place of the assembling together of God's people that love and good works would be stirred up in our heart, that our voices and our hands might be raised to heaven to make much of the one who bled and died for us. Wherever you are, whatever the circumstances of your life look like right now, persist in the work of ministry. I hope as you watch and are grieved as I am that news cycle that you'll be reminded of the power of the gospel to heal all wounds, to bind us together. The gospel of Jesus Christ is always the answer. It makes no matter what the issue is, the gospel is always the answer. And I hope that you'll look with great expectation toward a day soon to come, I hope, when we're all able to gather together again and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank You for Your Word and for its truth. Thank You for the power of the Gospel. God, we lift before You our nation, a hurting nation. Lord, we lift before You our brothers and sisters in Christ, who have been victimized and abused, hurt and mistreated. God, I I pray that you'd give us grace and mercy and understanding, that you'd put us in a position where we might stand ready to be of aid and encouragement, God. Help us to love like Jesus. God, I, I pray for the fellowship of our church, that the binding power of the gospel would never be unbound. Lord, that what you have put together, no man could put asunder. God, help us to walk in the truth of the gospel. Lord, guard us against the deceptions, the wind and doctrines of this world. Keep us, God, by the power of the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you would believe and trust Jesus for the salvation of your soul, for your sin, that you might find forgiveness for all of the things that you've done that you might have hope of heaven in the life that is to come. If you just bow before God and ask, Father, forgive me through your son, Jesus. Confess that you've believed that Christ is God's only son, that he died in our place, that he rose again the third day. I want you to know that the Bible says, and all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You won't be disappointed. Turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus you'll find a peace that passes all understanding maybe this morning you've made that confession but you've never been faithful in believers baptism or maybe you're listening this morning as a follower of jesus and you feel as though god is calling you into the fellowship of this Longview point faith family we'd love to have you as a part of what god is doing here reach out to us through one of the numbers on the screen those are the numbers of our pastors We would absolutely love to hear from you and how God is at work in your life, some ways that we could counsel with or be of encouragement to you. We'd love the chance to show you from God's Word what the next steps in your journey with Jesus should look like. I so anticipate an opportunity to be back together again, and I hope that you do as well. Uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to worship under one roof, to hear your voices join with mine, in making much of Jesus. In the meantime, if there's a way that we could pray for you or be of help in any way, you can find us at prayer at longviewpoint.org. That's the email address that many of you have been using to communicate prayer requests or prayer needs, even ministry needs to us. Call us in the office during regular hours or on any of those numbers that you saw a moment ago. Again, we'd love to hear about what the Lord is doing in your life. Persist In kingdom work, no matter what the circumstances look like, follow faithfully after Jesus, and we'll see you soon. Have a great day, Longview Point.